Howdy there, folks, and uh, giddy up. It's the Reputation Capital Podcast. And I'm Randy Baker, and he's Dr. Kent. And today we're going all the way to Virginia to talk with... I have to apologize for the, for the intro there. Usually I, you know, just say welcome, but but she at the end of the episode, she uses the word giddy up, and so I just got, I just got inspired and excited. Yeah, so, so giddy up and listen to this um, interview with... Shelly Smith, we go to lots of places, including some toxic places. Ooh. Nice to talk with you, Shelly. So we, we like always to kind of as map out the surroundings in the background uh, for them because they can't see us. As you told us before chatting here on the show, there's a bunch of beautiful purple swirls behind you. There are. It's a, a piece of artwork that I picked up, I don't know how long ago, but it's, it usually creates a conversation piece. It makes me happy when I'm looking in the Zoom call, too. <laughs> yeah, that's the, the thing we don't usually talk about. I, my background is there to make me happy, too. That's the, there's there's uh, something to be said for that. There is. And I like to change it up. So I recently put that, that there. So people that I talk to all the time, they're like, oh, when are you going to change your art again? I'm like, yeah. It's on the rotation next week. <laughs> and that and that tagline there in the middle, that's that's about yogurt. About yogurt. <laughs> no, it's not about yogurt. But culture matters in yogurt too. So it no, does I, it does matter in yogurt <laughs> too. You're absolutely right. <laughs> so nice to chat with you. Um, and you have done all kinds of podcasting, so so Randy's gonna watch what he says here and uh, not, you know, try not to stumble over all his words, right? speechless. Yes, I'm going to try to enunciate very carefully and say all the letters in every word, which is something that I am very bad at, at forgetting to do. I tend to leave half the letters out. So culture. I want to talk about culture really quickly before I throw it at Kent. I've heard that well, I describe culture as what happens when you're not around to see it. But a lot of companies now spend a lot of time trying to manage culture, trying to make sure there's a cultural fit when they find a new employee. I would love your take on that because I think it's a very interesting direction that corporates are going in. Yeah. Uh, for me, I've, I've talked about this stuff for decades, so I love that others are talking about it now too and leaning in and understanding the importance. But yes, I like the way that you described it. It's what happens when we're not looking. It's Anytime there are more than two people together, there's some sort of a, a work vibe from how we're communicating, interacting, you know, decision making. And it is important that there's a fit for both the employer and the employee. So in today's world of market, I'm happy to report that it's, it's normal conversations now. Prospective employees coming to the table with, tell me about your culture. And they expect you to give examples and not just quote values, but to talk about how that's showing up. So it's important to them that they're finding and landing in that right environment, just as much as it's now important to the employer to get people who are jazzed up and fit, because we all have our own values. Companies have their own values and, comp and uh, culture environments, but they're not always necessarily aligned. And that causes, I call it rubs and leaks for the employee's engagement and the employer. So just to sort of kick off that that vibe and conversation. So just like sort of a, a, a culture 
you know, the yogurt culture grows like if you you put it in a in a jar at room temperature for a week it's going to be interesting when you come back to it so what i find interesting about culture now right now this month this week today is that everything is different everything is changing it's like the it's like you just ate something weird and you're just off there's you can't figure out what to do what to eat what to say where are we now yeah that's a great question and i like analogy so i like what you just said i talk about the petri dish and what are you growing often you know the key is as the 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 owner or the board of directors the the final decision makers if you don't have clarity around how do we get things done around here, to your point, something's going to happen. The question becomes, is it happening the way you want it to happen, the way you need it to happen for those you serve? And those you serve are internally and externally. So what's happening is we're finding now that cultures that were not clearly defined and were not aligned systematically is that this is why there are so many people who are literally quitting their jobs. Today, when I was on LinkedIn, just scrolling through the posts, I saw at least 10 posts with, I just quit my job yesterday. And they were all surrounding around, I quit my job because I'm exhausted, I'm burnt out. I don't feel, you know, seen, valued, and heard. Some of them use the word of toxic cultures. And so this tsunami of resignations that is in the headlines is happening because we have zero tolerance now for misalignment. We have zero tolerance as individuals for what we perceive to be non-work-life balance. We have zero tolerance for not being able to feel like we're a part of something that's adding value to our lives, period. And so let's slow, let's slow down mm-hmm. right there. Cause that, that's not something people are talking about, but Randy and I have talked about, and it's this feeling of misalignment. Everything has to be perfect in my life. So fuck my job. There's a, there's a big old, pardon my French, but there's a big old thing there. Uh, but mm-hmm. let's dwell in that for a minute because that it feels like the entire world is in that space a little yeah. bit. It's, it's the clashing of what's happened with COVID of, of our, our work lives and our personal lives, even though a lot of people talked about balance and wanting balance, did they ever get it? Do they even understand what it is? Do you understand that you can have balance, but it's not equal balance throughout the day? So, you know, at this moment, it's, it's a work focus. At this next moment, uh, the next day, it is a family, you know, focus that balance to each of us is different, plain and simple. But COVID and the remote work, that company said that they would not allow came full force without any option at all, right? It was no longer their decision to make. And so what happened is we now have the clashing and the intentional intertwining of personal and professional. And because of that heightened (laughs) that has been pushed together, people are now forced with, well, how do I do and what do I do and what is important? Thus, this, I feel so incredibly misaligned. I feel like I'm missing out on my life. I feel like I'm, you know, I only have X, Y amount of years left. And then you have the younger generation coming into the workforce, looking at their parents going through and witnessing the adulting that they call it. And they're like, yeah, I don't, I'm, yeah, no, that's not for me. I'm not, I'm not doing it that way. And you, you all have lost your mind. Why are you going to work in a job that you hate and is miserable 
and you've complained about every day that I've grown, you know, grown up. And, and so we keep seeing these shifts, these a few degrees of separations into what I think is important about, do I work to live? Do I, do I live to work? And what is the balance for me personally? And that's what you're seeing again, showing up that it's becoming a non-negotiable and people realize, well, I can go figure this out in a different way. Gig economy, gig economy. So I'm going to backtrack just a little bit. Um, you used the word toxic workplace a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. I don't think there is such a thing. So hey, I think there more. is, I think there are bad employers. I think there are bad employees. I don't think workplaces are toxic. And I think the use of the term toxic has become so overused it has lost all meaning and it has become an excuse so i'd love your thoughts on that sure i think that's fair too it's probably been misused to your point i have worked with companies that i absolutely would define as toxic the way in the manner in which employees are treated from having to be on call all access all the time but their job descriptions don't say that employees that literally work in environments where they're yelled at, literally screamed at. I personally have, have worked uh, years ago for an individual who would you know, constantly slam his fist on the table, scream at you at the top of his lungs, you know, belittle you in front of anybody and everybody. When I say toxic, that's what I mean by toxic. And again, So you mean bad employer. Really, really bad employer. Bad now, with that being yeah. said, to your point, there are absolutely employees who are like that as well. Those are usually tolerated far less and quickly kind of gotten rid of. But the employer side, that stays around and then that manifests into, is this normal? You know, I have a lot of people that I work with from teens and executive coaching who are in those environments and they feel like it's an abusive language or an abusive relationship that they feel like they can't get out of and that there are no other options. And that's what I'm seeing that people are realizing, wait a minute, there are other options. I don't have to to put up with this to be treated this way. So let's let's explore that a little more sure. because that becomes choice. Yes. So I guess it's a little bit like battered wife syndrome. Yes. They they stay around because nobody else wants them. So why why do we have a because I I, I struggle with understanding this because I've never experienced it. Mm-hmm. I've been in places where I wouldn't stay around, I just walk out the door. Sure. So I, I I really don't understand why people feel trapped and I would love to understand that. And I mean that in all seriousness. Part of it is the again what they saw growing up, what it is that they believe to be true. It's their perspective. So, you know, a a person who stays in a relationship that's battered, you know, who are we to judge if we've never been in and don't understand that? The same thing is true in a work environment. If, If you grew up in a household and you were told repeatedly that you don't switch jobs, you stay where you are, you suck it up buttercup, you move on, you're still getting paid on Friday, you know, they're not torturing you literally, you know, then get over it. It's just, you know, it's just a job and keep it in the frame. And I certainly know individuals that that's what they were taught as they were growing up. You know, I was fortunate on the other hand that my mother and father always said, my father always said, you don't don't work for anybody else. Now, I didn't listen to him for several years, but um, 
uh, you know, had that entrepreneurial spirit before that was such a, such a word. But living inside of that, I was always told that I could do and be whatever it is I wanted to. But everybody is not told that. What, you know, what I saw is the hustle, the hustle growing up. You know, I saw that as, as the normal. I've got three kids. My two oldest kids saw me in the traditional work environment saw the struggles, heard the struggles, saw me glued to the phone and the BlackBerry. My youngest has not seen any of that. He knows mom as an entrepreneur. He knows mom in charge of her own destiny, taking on her own clients, helping people by the masses. So a normal job, a normal job is what I do, not somebody going into the office for him. So again, a lot of that has to do with what have we seen? What is our perspective? And again, we... We'll never, we can have empathy towards another person's perspective, but the reality is I will never know what it is to be in the shoes and the eyes and the experiences that you have. I can only empathize with that. So I cannot understand why individuals tolerate that. I've worked the, the environment when I said the person would belittle. I, I obviously, I left. I was like, you have lost your mind. <laughs> you will not talk to me like that. I cannot believe that you're in business and, you know, so on and so forth. But I know individuals that are still with him today and it blows my mind away. So maybe a little just different twist on that. What's really interesting there, Shelly, I love your take and push off from the suck it up buttercup (laughs) uh, mentality, right? So uh, really powerful and also to talk about the gift you have, which is the gift of seeing people just hustle, you know, which a lot of people don't have that gift to, to grow up around that. So wh- where did that come from in your you know, family history? I mean, not many people do grow up with entrepreneurs right. or, or for that matter, successful yeah. entrepreneurs. Um, I, I've been working since the age 11 and my, my parents uh, had a, a flea market in Indiana and I worked there on the weekends and collected the fees and I worked in the restaurant. And so I did that. I did that for years. And so, so we got to, we got to, we got to pause on the flea market because I love a good flea market. We had a good one. You, <laughs> you can always find something awesome at a flea market. And I, yeah. I grew up, my, my grandmother was an antiques dealer. So oh. she would go to flea markets, right. And try to find the cool stuff. We yeah. go at five in the morning and this and that. But what is it about being around people's discarded old stuff and then selling it because it's awesome. You find treasures. What, you how do. does that apply to your life? Well, I te- well, my dad was an auctioneer, so the flea market also had an auction on the same day. And so it had a, a, a from the new stuff to the stuff that fell off the truck to the, uh, to the antiques. I actually bought my first car for $500. It was a big old Plymouth boat. They called it the boat. Um, my friends and I called it the boat at, at the auction house. So there's something about getting a good deal. There's something about buying something and restoring it to your own. There's something about repurposing. And people either love that, you know, quite frankly, they don't. I actually love the antiques, but I also love super modern types of furniture. But, you know, it was vegetables and, and everything. So it was the, the new, it was the camaraderie of seeing the people that come out. I mean, it's just it's just a fun and exciting thing too. If you've never been to a flea market for those listening, you absolutely need to go and you need to go to one who's got the variety of, of kind of, of everything. But anyways, my, my dad did that. He, and, and he told me, you know, again, never worked for anybody else. My mom always had a traditional job, but she was also the bookkeeper. 
she she was the per she was the cashier for the auction house. And so I saw I saw both sides of the fence piece inside of that. I also am a huge from it a science perspective, I believe a lot in our hardwiring. And my personal hardwiring is one that I've always been this independent sort of do what I want, do what I think, tell me I'm not going to do it. I'm going to do it just to prove you wrong type of person. Um, always been outspoken, always got talked too much in my report card. I have never done anything traditional. I'm the person who gets asked, what is your educational background? And I laugh and say, life. And they're like, no, 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 what, where's your degree from? I laugh and say, I don't have a degree. And that usually shocks people. And initially, uh, that was an embarrassing thing. And now I've grown into it. And I love it because my, my experiences have been, you know, I say sitting in the boat and making it back to the shore. So long story is that I was exposed, I think, with many walks of life. And I and, and also want to be clear, I now realize I grew up poor, but I didn't realize it then. So um, I love everything about my life, but I, I want to make sure that people are listening don't think, oh, she's a silver spoon. Oh, no, 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 no. Quite the opposite. Quite, quite, quite the opposite. But I appreciate so the, that. The difference between, it's the difference between the, the flea market auctioneer and the sort of Sotheby's auctioneer. Yeah, right? there you go. But so, so I'm, I'm curious on your dad's, the performative nature of being an auctioneer. So to what level did he love that part of things? He the selling the, the loved it. I mean, did he have the skills? Could he do the speed talking oh, and all that? Yes, 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 ah, yes, yes, yes. That is yes. magic. Magic. A- absolutely. And uh, I've, I've heard a lot of, of auctioneers, uh, even uh, ones when I go to nonprofits now and they do the, you know, trying to raise the money. And I always ha- hear my, my dad, in the background, um, he was good. He was really good speed demon. Describe it because it's 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 an insane kind of thing. I mean, did he practice? Did you hear him like outside? No, no, no. He just, I, I, you know, he obviously had to go and get his license. But um, at some point, of course, I'm you know really young at that point. But it was a gift. He just naturally could talk. Oh, you know, into that. But what was exciting about not only being able to understand what he was saying when he was talking really fast is the way he engaged the people who were in the room, the way he would draw, draw you in. And he also always said to me, everything in life is about selling, Shelley. If you cannot connect, if you cannot influence, if you cannot communicate, and if you cannot decision make, you're always going to be lost. And he always made that really clear too. And so again, the things that your parents say, if you're not exposed to those things, then your perspective is just so, is so different. And again, I didn't realize such the blessing in life as I moved through, but there are so many things that I, I pull back to what my mom and dad said or did, how they were resilient. And I'm like, ah, that's who I am. That's like who I am. Thanks, mom and dad. <laughs> so that, and that goes back to, Randy, your question of, you know, why do people, we tolerate what we find to be acceptable. We, our experiences allow us to lean into what we accept. So that's my perspective. Anyway, right or wrong, or indifferent. I like that a great deal. And I, I think there's a, a deep truth in there. And I think it extends beyond, it extends into relationships and everything about our lives. Yeah. So... I'm kind of intrigued because, you know, as a culture specialist, if you were telling your seven-year-old self what you do today, how would you explain that? 
Well, interestingly enough, interestingly enough, I have to I have to laugh, Randy, because I get tongue tied and twisted and leave out a lot of words and make up words myself. So is that I'm often asked, what did I dream of being when I was younger? And I would sit with uh, pots from mom's kitchen and I would take a big, the big pot and fill it up with water. And then I would stack the other pots and I would get my Barbie doll. And the big pots that were stacked were the buildings and my name was at the top and I was always the CEO. It's crazy, but I always have played and envisioned that. So again, I didn't want to be a firefighter. I didn't want to be a doctor. I didn't want to be a lawyer. I wanted to be an owner. I wanted to lead and, and to do things and to make a difference. And so I would tell my seven-year-old self, keep playing with your Barbie dolls and your pots and pans and visualizing the business that you're going to own and the people that you're going to hopefully help and impact. So do that. Do just that. So one of the things I think I read on your website was that culture grows slowly. Do CEO skills also grow slowly? Yeah, I think through experience for sure. Somebody phrased this recently in uh, Scars, and I loved it. And it, it was uh, Jason Van Camp, Mission Six Zero. He talked about uh, the scars that we have, and in a good way, in that the experiences that we have, the scars that we have, allow us to do what it is we do. The key is, does the, does the scar break you down or does it lift you up? You know, whoever first said it's not how many times you fall down, it's absolutely about how you, how you get up. Mm -hmm. So I just, it's, it's a mindset. It's a choice. Randy, you talked about that before. It's a choice. Mm -hmm. And I choose to not only be optimistic, and I think that CEOs must be resilient and optimistic in a manner in which even if we as a CEO, you start with the pessimism in that the glass is half empty. You're the naysayer because those are successful CEOs as well. The resilience and the strong CEO is the one that says that I can still fill it up. I can still fill the cup up. It's half empty, mm -hmm. but I know I can still fill it up. And I think that comes from exposure. So I do think it's a slow simmer versus a quick uh, Instapot. Slow simmer instead of an Instapot. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I, I really like that. So if we're on the if we're we're already on another food analogy, which is great, so then I can jump in with with yet another bacterial uh, comment. Families pass down a sourdough starter for for generations, literally, yeah. right? So so tell us about what your next steps are in your business and where people can find you and get a little little bit of your sourdough starter for their own culture so that maybe they can grow something great. I, I love that. So I do have lots of free resources on my website. If you just go to premierreport.com, you can also find all the different quick social media links and a couple of the podcasts that I have. Daily, I do just a quick, I call it your morning commute, back when we were actually in our cars commuting to work. But just a five-minute dose of, a get, I call it a culture giddy-up for the day food for thought for you to focus in on with your workplace culture, you know, leadership piece. But I have white papers, resources, downloads, checklists. You can get some free assessments. I've got a couple of the my culture magazines that are listed on there that have a plethora of articles and, and resources. So just go to premierreport.com and, and you can get all kinds of, of stuff to get yourself going. 
That's got the vibe of a great flea market. So I really appreciate that. <laughs> so nice to talk with you. Uh, this has been really fun. Thank you so much, gentlemen. I appreciate being on today. Thanks, Shelley. We really appreciated your time. And I loved how you talked. Well, particularly, I loved how you talked about your family and your upbringing and your father as an auctioneer and the flea market and all of that stuff that gave you the beginnings, the foundation for your journey into the C-suite, into the CEO of your own organization and matching all of that with the importance of culture. Fascinating stuff. So folks out there listening, if you'd like to giddy up a little bit with us uh, and you kind of fancy yourself the CEO of your own organization, check us out at thoughtpartnergroup.com. Or if you just want to have kind of a flea market vibe, check out crazymba.com. That's all.